You're listening to a podcast from The Stage, the world's oldest and best theatre publication, thestage.co.uk. Hello, it's been three fun-filled weeks, but the Edinburgh Fringe Festival 2016 is almost at an end. There is, however, just time to fit a few more shows in, so Paul Vale and I have some last-ditch recommendations in a few minutes. First, though, thanks as ever to our sponsors, Mobius. Now, Sarah Louise Young is a prolific singer, actress and cabaret performer. She's sung with Fascinating Aida and Showstoppers, the improvised musical. Now, a glutton for punishment, she has three shows up at this year's Fringe, two of which she's written with her regular collaborator, Michael Ralston. That's La Poule Plombe, in which Young plays a haunted French chanteuse in the style of Edith Piaf. There's Ralston and Young's Songs for Lovers. And finally, Royal Vauxhall, which Paul Vale and I talked about last week. A new musical by Desmond O'Connor that imagines Kenny Everett, Freddie Mercury and Princess Diana on a night out at London's iconic gay pub, the Royal Vauxhall Tavern. The big question then is, why would you choose to perform in three shows at once? That's a question I've been asking myself. Michael Wilson and I have written together for 10 years and we've ended up creating two streams to the work and one is character-based comedy and one is performing as ourselves and we're equally passionate about both. And I'd done several years working with a show called Cabaret Hall, where although I'd written the songs with Michael, he was he was on a backing track. And we really wanted to perform together. So the La Poule Plombe show, which is this sort of tortured French chanteuse, but a lovely review that says she's part Norma Desmond, part little Edie <laughs> in the fragile body of Liza Minnelli. Um, so we wanted to perform that together. And we thought it was just too good an opportunity to miss not to do the two shows at the same time. But then Desmond O'Connor, who wrote Royal Vauxhall, which is this musical about the night that uh, Freddie Mercury and Kenny Everett took Lady Di out in drag, asked me to do it. And because I'd done the workshop performances, I didn't want anyone stealing my part. So I, it was an accident, really, that I'm doing three shows a day, but I am loving it. And the other thing, especially in cabaret, you've got to get out and do guest spots. And most of those guest spots are late. And as a singer, I'm pretty robust, but I want to try and be in bed by three o'clock in the morning. So it was also a challenge to fit guest spots around doing the musical so we come off stage around about 20 past 11 and I make a mad dash over to the Queen Dome to do uh, Lilla Scala's night so it's quite often a four show day. For you what is it about the Fringe that sort of attracts you? I love being up here it's a very energising place and a a chance to talk to your friends and see what they're doing. I fell in love with the Fringe when I was 19 and I came as a student in a play that shall remain nameless. (laughs) It wasn't very good, the cast were lovely but I saw work that blew my mind and I didn't know that that kind of theatre was possible. I saw physical theatre, puppetry, mime. I saw a production of Wee Claw in Italian and loved it and I completely lost my heart to performing at that point. And it's an amazing opportunity to have a month where there is an audience. We met a woman who's camping out by the airport. She wants to be here so much. And also a connection to your community because a lot of the time I work on my own and I do my show and I have a lovely time but I don't get to see people and it's very easy to think you know another performer but people are constantly evolving so for me to see established performers breaking new ground but also to see new performers there's some really exciting younger talent that's exciting. You work a lot in London and do you find that audiences respond differently to Cabaret in Edinburgh from the way they do in London? Do you find audiences perhaps in London who are more regular Cabaret goers but in Edinburgh who are kind of taking a chance? I think there are people in Edinburgh who are looking for something exciting and new. And certainly when I did the Free Fringe in the first couple of years, they felt they had discovered you, and they're very loyal. And the number of people that come back... uh, I did a play a couple of years ago with Linda Marlowe, and she's been obviously doing the Fringe for like 30 or 40 years, and she's still got people who come back who saw her all that time ago. So they're very, very loyal. Because it's an overwhelming number of shows to choose from, 
in a way you're doing them a favour if they can come and see you. Um, London audiences can be jaded. I love my city very much, but they've got a lot to choose from. So there is a joy, I think, in the Edinburgh audience and also a discerning element because if they are seeing five shows a day, if you're not funny or entertaining, they'll walk. That's what I love about the Free Fringe and hate about the Free Fringe. People can leave your show, but it means that when they stay, they really, really want to be there. So two of the shows you're doing are with Michael Ralston. So how did the two of you meet and how did you start working together? We met on the Battersea Barge, home and origin of many cabaret collaborations. And Michael was our pianist. And it wasn't until 96 that I decided to start writing. And I asked him if he would help me. And we did our first show. And that show was not very good. But we learned how to write on it. And from then, we've made work. It just works. What's interesting is the writing process has changed. It used to be very much I did the words, he did the music. Uh, and now we will spend time talking about the idea of a song or the feel of a song. We still do about 30% of work alone. I will go off and craft the lyrics and come back with him and he'll go away after we've set it to music and do work. And I've, I don't write without a tune or a feel, but he's such a great musician. He pushes me to go further. And there are a couple of songs in the shows which for me they were meant to just be simple, funny ditties. And he went, no, no, that, there's something deeper in that. And they've ended up being the songs that we're most proud of. Basically, how did you get into to writing and performing cabaret? I didn't know I was going to be a performer. I was the last person to know. Everyone else did. I'd always sung. I'd always sung in choirs. As jobbing actors, we, we wanted to perform. And you can spend months and months waiting for an audition. And doing cabaret, we thought, OK, we're up. We're performing. We're using our voices. And it was a very gradual process of sort of using other people's material. Tom Lehrer, Fascinating Aida, Victoria Wood. And then gradually you shift and you start to write your own lyrics and I worked for News Review, you get to write your own lyrics and it was a surprise to me, so really I only started properly writing in my 30s so it's the last 10 years, but now it feels like I can't imagine not doing that With the three show day what's your timetable, I mean how does that work, so I know that at one you're starting warming up and then you finish at as you say, sort of half eleven, if you don't have a slot in a late night show my day is is really boringly military (laughs) so until 11 I am on holiday from 11 till 1 Michael and I do admin so that means phoning the press chasing the press calling the press trying to get the press to come and see you Uh, also phoning venues trying to get producers in so all of the PR that it takes to to produce the shows Um, then we'll warm up and we'll head down to our first venue and we'll fly on the way because I think with Edinburgh you know, so many people are flyered, they can't take it on board. But if you make eye contact and you have a conversation with someone, then I think it's worthwhile. And then we literally have enough time between the afternoon show and the evening show to walk to our new venue, have some food and do the next show. Then we'll have a quick dinner afterwards and then I'll run to the next show. So it's all very boring, really. But it's important to have a couple of hours in the morning when I'm not thinking about work. And then I come home and I count the money. (laughs) The last thing I do before (laughs) going to bed is I count the money from the free fringe and then I steam my voice. I, I'm sitting in the kitchen with an um, orange towel on my head and my housemates are coming back. I look like a big orange monster. I don't drink alcohol for the entire month, which is no hardship whatsoever. I love alcohol. I mean, I love real ale. I'm a proper real ale drinker. But for the month, uh, it's, it's a habit almost for me now that I don't drink up here. I think because you could get a cold, you could get ill, and that would be unfortunate. But if I end up just not looking after myself... I've only got myself to blame. I don't really go in for kind of cough syrups and things like that because nothing really touches your vocal folds apart from 
steam. Um, and also warming down, which is only relatively new to me in the last sort of five years. Because a lot of singers, they're fine for the show, and then you get into a noisy bar and you start talking, and then you realise actually that's where your voice is, is strung out. But yeah, and the three shows have muscularly make very different demands on me. So it's also just psychologically thinking, okay, I'm now going into this shift in my voice. But it's getting easier as the run gets on, oddly, because I'm getting more used to singing them. Showstop is much harder because it's improvised, there's no muscle memory. So it's like when you go out and you suddenly do, I don't know, paintballing and you've never done it before and the next morning you can hardly move and that's a bit like doing that to your muscles in your, uh, in your neck. Do you like improvising? I love it. I really love it and, and I have built into all three shows opportunities to improvise. For me, cabaret is about the audience. It's the difference between musical theatre and cabaret and an audience should feel, however scripted your show, that they are part of it and that their contribution mattered. I want to feel that way in an audience and I desperately want our audience to feel involved. So I love that opportunity. The main thing for me, any interaction with the audience is the audience must feel safe and they should be elevated. So any opportunity, we, we get somebody out of the audience. And for me, it's so important how you deal with them and how you care for them. If I use anybody in a show, I, I try to make sure they've got somebody with them so they're not on their own. So they've got somebody to applaud them and hug them when they come back to their seats. And it's one of the things that really annoys me when I see it handled uh, badly because people have come to have a good time and you have a, a duty of care over your audience. I really believe that strongly. Yeah, I've seen a couple of shows as well, particularly by comedians who, <clears throat> the show is fantastic. Mm. The material they've got is brilliant, but as, as soon as they start interacting with the audience, there's a kind of aggression there which is makes you feel really uncomfortable as an audience member. All that goodwill you had towards the comedian just kind of mm. suddenly disappears. Yeah, I think you've got to remember that this is someone's night out. And I remember it struck me... I was very lucky a few years ago I did a year with Fascinating Aida so we toured different cities every single night for about 10 months and a lot of the people coming this was their one night out the year that they went to the theatre they didn't come to anything else and they would have saved up for weeks and they'd got their outfit on and they'd gone to dinner and you realise that your show is, is a little jewel in their week I find that it's such a privilege I hope this doesn't sound you know too strange but it's a privilege to be part of someone's night out and ultimately they should be having a good time. And that doesn't mean you can't push them and make them think and make them uncomfortable, but you have to wrap them up at, at the end of the day. The difference, I think, is, is whether you bring love to the work. And one of the things Michael and I got out of doing our Julie Andrews show was that there was immense love in the room because people were bringing all their childhood projections. And a lot of the work we'd done prior to that was a bit cynical. In fact, the show we'd done was called Songs for Cynics. And we came out of that and thought, I think we want more of that. So even with La Poule, who is this Tristeur's character, there's still love in the room. And for me, I don't want to walk on stage and not bring... I tell you, the two things I love in theatre, love and danger. Love and danger. Give me a show that's got love or danger, preferably both, and you've got me hooked for the night. It's a good name for a musical as well. Love and danger. <laughs> that's great. I love that. That was the wonderful Sarah Louise Young, who's playing Princess Diana in Royal Vauxhall, La Poule Plombe in Cabaret Hall, and herself in Ralston and Young's Songs for Lovers. She's a fantastic performer, so do try and catch one of her three shows if you can. Thank you again to our sponsors Mobius for supporting this podcast. Now, once again, I stole a moment with stage critic Paul Vale to chat about what he would recommend seeing. And remember as well that there's a huge amount of comprehensive coverage at thestage.co.uk. So, Paul, we've made it. We're at the end of the Fringe. This is the final episode. So, in the last few days, what would you recommend seeing? So, one of the ones that caught my eye was Buzz. 
I have seen Buzz. Ah, right. And okay. it's a new musical about vibrators. Well, it's not <laughs> so much about vibrators as about female emancipation, shall we say. Okay, that's that's a different lens. Yes. Yes, because they, you know, obviously, yes, it is about vibrators, but it's about sisters doing it for themselves. <laughs> In a it's, very euphemistic way. Yes, yes. <laughs> it tells the story of um, Angie, and she, she gets dumped, a ridiculous boyfriend, and she chats to her urban family about it and they introduce her to Anne Summers and interwoven (laughs) in this ridiculous modern Bridget Jones style carry on that takes place is the history of the vibrator and how doctors and research and science approached uh, the female orgasm. Mm. It did make me laugh a lot. I mean, I wasn't completely sold on it. But what I found really interesting was just how informative it was as a, as a musical. It was very informative. <laughs> there were a couple of moments when I was sat squirming, but yeah, I yeah. got over it. And of course, you've got to remember that, you know, there was a time when, you know, a woman who who would, you yeah. know, any highly sexed woman would go to, you know, be sent to a lunatics asylum because this was just not understood. Women yeah. weren't supposed to enjoy sex. Right, right. And and I think actually the, the message there is, is a is an important one and, and it's a strong one and it's well told. Yes, it's a, there's a strong social message behind the very very silly comedy. <laughs> I loved the energy of the show, yeah. but it desperately needs work on its songs. Yeah, it's a musical and there's some fun catchy songs in there, but they are almost an afterthought. Yeah, I agree. Which I is agree. not what you need for a musical. You need that. You need the songs to lead it. And I think there's there's room to go forward with that. But it did make me smile. Hopefully, we'll see it again in a in an extended version. So that's Buzz, and that's on at Greenside Infirmary Street at eight forty five. What else have you seen then in your last week, Tim? Well, in my last week, I finally got around to seeing an, uh, one of the big recommendations of the fringe which is a monologue called angel by henry naylor now henry naylor's been a fringe fixture for the last few years and he does these monologues that are very political and very powerful but i've never been quite sold on him but angel is just stunning it tells the story of a young woman a young syrian woman who finds herself fighting against isis and eventually killing a load of ISIS fighters. Apart from the incredible performance by Philippa Braganza, who's basically just out of drama school, the script itself is is amazing. So Angel's father, they live on a farm in in Syria, and, and her father encourages in her the idea that women are just as important as men. And she should learn how to look after herself, and she should learn how to look after the farm, and she should learn how to shoot. And this ends up being incredibly useful as ISIS starts to encroach on the Syrian-Turkish border. And it just covers so much from the worst, most horrific kind of contemporary politics to gender equality. And it's a really simple, powerful piece of writing, very sparsely staged with the focus just on script and acting that was paul vale and that's it that's the end of these podcasts for the last time thank you to mobius for their support and thank you so much for taking the time to listen and for all your feedback it's been a great pleasure my bags are packed my cab is almost here i've got a train to catch so until next year goodbye